profit is not cash. I'm conscious saying I'm going to launch a Facebook ad today. Everyone can only handle racing. I feel like we need to stop putting ourselves in restrictions. What do you actually want out of your business? You're listening to Forest FM, the salon business show with your host, Zoe Galilla Springer. For your industry, by your industry. I was 10 years old the first time I was ever confronted with the fact that people could be confused by my gender expression and in the process make assumptions about my gender. It all started the year prior to that, when I decided to trade my long, curly, extremely voluminous hair for a short scissor cut. And clearly I loved it, because in the late summer of the year 2000, when my mom brought my brother and I to the salon for back-to-school haircuts once again, my hairdresser who for years had been jokingly saying, so what are we doing today? Are we shaving it all off? finally got my approval to get the clippers out. I didn't shave it all off. That came much later, in my mid-twenties. But I did only leave about an inch of hair on my head. I felt incredible, and I'm still grateful that my mom let me choose the clippers that day. I didn't know it then, at least not consciously, but cutting my hair that short was probably the first gender-affirming thing I ever did for myself. And to me, nothing was about to change. I mean, why would a haircut change anything? Yet that decision would give me my first reality slap when it came to gender-related things. And from then on, everything was about to be different. In the summer of the year 2000, my mom, brother, and I moved from a big city to a small town called Rigo. I would be going into fifth grade in a new school, one that had uniforms, that was far from my friends of four years, and for all I knew, far from the wild dodgeball games we'd have against older kids at recess. On the first day of school that year, my mom took a photo of my brother and I on the porch in front of the house, in our school uniforms, backpacks on, fresh new dues on show. And once again, very grateful my mom didn't force the girls' uniform on me for that year and the following six, the second big gender-affirming decision I advocated for. The captured moment shows my brother mid-air jump, and me, fist up in the air, a smirk on my face. I'm pretty sure it was the only year we took a first day of school photo. And to be honest, I don't remember much about that day. While I wasn't thinking about people's perception of my gender expression when they'd see the school's boy polo, Bermuda shorts, and short hair combo, I do remember this. That day marked the first time I was told I was in the wrong bathroom, that the boys' one was on the other side of the hall. My blood boiling a mix of confusion, embarrassment, and shame, I simply uttered, Yeah, I know. If only I knew I'd be spending more than two decades telling other people those same three words. I've been questioning and exploring my gender identity for years, but for the longest time, I simply took on the tomboy label. Honestly, it's all I knew. And along the way, the hairdressers and barbers I've gone to have always made me feel safe and seen. In January 2016, when I moved to Ireland, one of the first things I did after settling in at the hostel was walk around the city to find somewhere to get my hair cut. It wasn't too long before I met a barber who made me feel safe, and this might remind you of a few clients of yours, Despite my move back to Montreal in 2018, we keep in touch and I still go to him for a fresh trim whenever I visit. What I'm about to share, I've long hesitated to speak about on the podcast. I see myself as a conductor or a facilitator to sharing industry stories, someone who tries their best to instill personality into the show without taking away any space from it. The thing about being the face of a public platform, though, is that whenever you go through big changes, people notice. And so the question I've had for months now already has been, should I share this bit of my story publicly on the podcast? 
I decided yes. Those years of gender identity exploration and questioning led to my coming out as non-binary in 2020, as trans in early 2021. And in March of this year, I not only started taking testosterone, but also had gender-affirming top surgery. It kind of never happens to get to choose how you can look to that extent. When I look at myself in the mirror every morning, caring for the scars across my chest, applying that gel full of hormones on my stomach, I feel liberated, euphoric, grateful that throughout it all, I've felt accepted, safe, and seen by the hair and beauty industry, by my friends, family and partner, my family doctor, my surgeon and her team, and by Forrest, who has shown unwavering support, kindness, and care working towards more company policies and benefits related to diversity and inclusion, hosting educational sessions, encouraging staff to add their pronouns by their Slack name, developing gender-neutral features to help you make your clients feel safe and seen too. I know it's far from being every trans person's reality, so I do appreciate it and I don't take it for granted. Despite my best to cover for any radio silence on the podcast, my high achiever self woke up from the haziness of pain meds with yet another reality slap. Recovering from surgery takes time. And even if it goes well, sometimes it takes longer than you think it will. And rest, well, it's pretty important. Rerunning this episode means a lot to me. Working to eradicate homophobia, transphobia, and discrimination according to race, sex, and gender in salons worldwide, Kristen Rankin has made it a huge part of their career to teach business owners and hairstylists how to create a space that feels safe and welcoming to everyone. In this episode, Killian and I discuss the birth of their initiative, The Dress Code Project, explore the ins and outs of creating safer spaces for all clients, and chat with salon owner and educator Lauren Wilde on the importance, meaning, and day-to-day of running a gender-affirming salon space. At the time that we sat down for the conversation, I was still in the middle of trying to connect a thought, an impression, an ideal, an idea that had yet to ever have a fully tangible visual. As you listen back to this conversation, I hope my story can help highlight the importance you all play in many of your clients' self-discovery and acceptance journeys. That day that I gave the okay to that clipper cut, without realizing it, I was embarking on a lifelong quest of making the idea I had of myself match what I saw when I looked at myself in the mirror. And on that note, I'll leave you to it. Here are Kristen Rankin and Lauren Wilde. Without further ado, welcome to the show, Kristen. Thanks so much for having me, Killian. I'm looking forward to this. No, it's an absolute pleasure. Personally, I'm really looking forward to learning more from this conversation. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Creating gender-affirming hair spaces is obviously something that you hold very close to your heart and has been a big part of your career uh, so far. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and about how you came up with the launch for the Dress Code Project? Sure. Yeah. Um, so I started the Dress Code Project in 2017, but I have owned a hair salon for almost 13 years now. And um, my salon was in it's in Toronto, uh, Canada, and has always been in a very diverse, inclusive area of the city. I mean, Toronto is a pretty inclusively diverse city, anyways. But um, you know, when I opened my doors, we just had all kinds of clients all types of people. It didn't matter. We had a rainbow sticker on the front of our window, you know, um, which just, you know, identify almost universally, I think identifies inclusivity for Mm -hmm. for all folks, you know, really in a sense. And um, I had, I was cutting uh, the hair of a transgender woman one day and 
um, when she was done, you know, she ended up tweeting the next day to my salon that it was the first time she'd had a haircut and ever felt like a woman. And for me, um, <clears throat> you know, you always feel really good when, when you cut someone's hair. It always gives you this sense of just almost like a little euphoria in a way, you know, because you see like you've made someone's day regardless. They're usually, hopefully, always happy with their hair. <laughs> and um, and that, you know, that can make somebody feel pretty good about themselves. And so to get a tweet like this was, um, you know, uh, my first reaction was kind of like you felt, I felt pretty incredible um, and that I was able to do that for her. But then I think immediately after that, I, I had a bit of a sense of disappointment and, pro- and probably a little bit of like shame as well, because our I realized that the industry that I was in, that I loved, was not accepting and including the community that I was also a part of. And so um, I just thought, you know, something has to be done about this. Like her her saying that raised so many issues that I, <clears throat> I then, then started becoming aware of. And as a queer person, you might think that you're aware of everything all the time within your own community, but it's not the truth at all. You know, you're kind of doing your own thing, going your day to day. And, you know, I had a rainbow sticker on my window, but, you know, I clearly wasn't experiencing um, what she was experiencing. So I just felt like uh, that just needed to be different. You know, I was like, okay, somebody has to do something about this. And then I didn't do anything and, you know, and nobody was doing anything that I saw of. And um, I think I was just always thinking about it, you know, because again, I just, I have a diverse clientele. So, you know, the more I would just see anybody who might've looked like their gender expression was maybe different from how they were presenting or they were trying to get there because I did experience that quite a lot as well. I just thought about it more and more. And, um, you know, lucky enough, I, I had enough people around me that when I was bringing up this idea, um, I had a very good support system and they were all willing to help and, and ready to kind of like, you know, step in there and, and, you know, explore it a little bit with me. So, um, I, you know, I felt pretty fortunate for that. And I think it was about, maybe it was about three months after I had that experience is when I started to do something. And that's still so quick. Fair play to you. Sometimes I feel like when things feel really important and close to heart, uh, we can hold on and mull over the idea of what we want to do for so long just to make sure that it's going to work or it's going to resonate with the people that we want it to resonate with. So what does an inclusive and safer space or environment entail when you think about a salon? Aside from pricing, I guess, uh, I've seen a lot of talk on about pricing on social media this past year, and we'll talk about that specifically a bit later. But for now, I guess my question is, what are some barriers to service that LGBTQS plus people encounter as of current? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, this can happen in almost any space, but, you know, we're dealing with the hair industry, so... yeah. Um, and salons, as we, I think we know, um, this industry can, it is very gendered. Like there, it very much is about the binary, mm-hmm. you know, from the very get-go, we have men's and women's haircuts set out as the standard. And so that's almost set a tone a little bit for what else will happen in a salon. You know, I think historically people who identified as women would go to salons, people who identified as men would go to barber shops. And, you know, you ended up creating these two separate spaces, one that was very feminine, the other one very masculine. And so uh, along with that, you had those almost binary implications all over the rest of the salon, you know, like someone might walk in and, 
you know, they would be Mr. or Mrs. or Miss or Sir or Ma'am. Um, and then you would go to use a restroom and you might see that there were two restrooms available, but one was for men and one was for women. Um, you know, and then just even language, you know, um, do you like the way that hair, hair, you know, the long layers, they're so beautiful. And like that kind of word implies that you're feminine and that, you know, like, you know, in our society still to this day, I think it's very typical that men can't be beautiful, you know? And, Mm. um, so it's, it's all of those combinations of things, I think. And then of course, just, um, basically not having people that are, I don't want to, I don't want to say that they're outright, uh, homophobic or transphobic that are working there, but just not having an understanding of anything outside of your own scope. In conversations you've had um, on the Destroy the Hairdresser and Christina Russell's podcast, you talked about trends and forecasting and how it's estimated that within a few or kind of the next few years, roughly 40% of Gen Zs will identify with some gender fluidity. Creating safer spaces isn't a choice anymore, but the way of the future. So what can we do? Like, where do we start as an industry? Uh, What do you focus your education on at the Dress Code Project? We really have been focusing um, so far our education on in-salon and training salons to change the way they are. Just everything we just talked about right now, um, you know, changing their um, spaces to be more inclusive to all folks, using different language, um, even just talking about hair in in ways like we have, um, you know, when I started doing this, I recognized really quickly that in order to say we're creating gender affirming or safer spaces, we need to actually be able to do that and, mm-hmm. and have it be consistent. And so there is a, uh, a charity in Toronto called the 519. And they really um, handle uh, and deal with a lot of the uh, folks within the LGBTQ2S uh, communities. And they do a lot of inclusive and diversity training, trans 101 training. And so I partnered with them. And for, I think it was about four months, we ended up creating a a guide um, that we call the Gender Affirming uh, Hair Guide for Salon Spaces um, that we send out to all of our member salons um, so that they can have a clear and consistent idea of what it is that we expect them to uphold as mm-hmm. dress code project member salons. And, um, and that's where the consistency has come from so far. And what we're, what we were planning on doing in 2020, but you know, that little thing called the pandemic kind of kicked <laughs> us in the ass and uh, stopped a bunch of things. But what, what we were planning on doing um, and we are still going to be rolling out is, um, you know, we, we quickly recognize that, um, it makes a lot of sense to try to also hit our education sector. Mm-hmm. So going into the facilities that end up training hairstylists so that we're sending out people who are going to the salons and almost in a sense doing the work for us because they've already been trained. Yeah. So they're going to salons and they're saying to salons, hey, um, you know, I just finished school and we learned about all this stuff. Like, why do you have men's and women's washrooms or why do you have men's and women's haircuts? You know, so that we're kind of like now getting the message out a lot further and, and widespread. And also, um, as you said earlier, Killian, just uh, being in alignment with those new clients that are from Gen Z and generations under that, that are super aware of where they spend their money. I'd love to bring it back briefly to the barriers to service that we were just talking about, because you mentioned just now how Gen Z are very aware of in what type of business they want to spend their money in. And 
well, before you could have had walk-ins, etc. Now everything has either already moved or is moving online with COVID, including looking up places we want to go to. And I mean, I, I don't think I've had I've gone to a business without Googling it first, even if it was just for the opening hours since March 2020, to be honest. So with that in mind, is there anything salons can do from an online presence point of view to make their inclusiveness shine? Definitely. That's a great question. Um, in terms of being, of their online presence, um, you know, we, uh, I always talk to people about, you know, using all of their platforms, making sure that I find like, again, going to the more aware, uh, client today that is super savvy with, within, you know, how to navigate the world of, uh, internet and social media and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, I'm always saying to people like, if you're going to do this and you want to like really put the word out there, uh, there's three things you can do. One of them is make sure that whatever social media platform you're on, it is showing that you're inclusive by potentially either having that rainbow flag on your your Instagram account. Um, putting your pronouns up is one of the best ways that you can really actually do it because someone sees that you're aware of what your pronouns are, even if those pronouns would traditionally match um, what your you know outward appearance is. Mm-hmm. Um, it still makes people feel really comfortable in knowing that you are aware of that. Um, having a presence on your website. So talking about on your website, using like we will say to people who become member salons, you have use of our logo now. Like you can put that on your website and say that you're a dress code project member salon. Um, you know, you can put a link to our website on your website. And then also on your reviews, you know, you can get people to talk about it or on your review account, you can put that you're a dress code project salon. And then physically, um, we also give people um, a logo that we created that allows them to put that in there. We send people a file that they can print off into a sticker to put on their windows mm. so that people can see that they're dress code uh, affiliated salons. When it comes to, I guess, um, pricing, because we didn't like we mentioned it earlier, but we didn't really dive into that. Um, there's so many good reasons to, you know, to change the way that we think about pricing, essentially. Like, what does that look like concretely? Like, maybe what what do you do in your salon? Because I've heard about um, people doing pricing by the hour, but then you can also do by length of hair. What does that look like concretely when you're looking at changing your pricing? Yeah, I think, you know, the systems that we have found um, most people have been using, um, I just happened to go with length, not gender, you know, that was where I started. And, um, and I did that a long time ago in my salon. And um, my hair, for example, is a short haircut, or a barber cut, but we're not gonna like call it a pixie cut or, you know, a crew cut or a men's cut or women's cut because it's just short. And that's the characteristic of what that haircut is. Um, I have, I have no people and have friends and have helped people set up timing because they like to work that way. So, you know, a 45 minute cut, a 60 minute cut and a 90 minute cut. Um, and honestly, like the more creative, the better, you know, it can just be fun. Like if you're a really creative person and you want to go outside that box, then by all means do it, you know, I mean, as long as you're not, um, pricing it according to some sort of gender binary, then I think it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And like, I don't have stats for every part of the globe, but research done in the UK back in 2019 showed um, that 93% of UK people have been misgendered during their appointment at the salon or the barber shop, And that 29% of UK trans people report the salon experiences as stressful. And I think pricing is just one of the things that can alleviate that for sure. Um, but just overall, those are incredible 
incredibly high percentage and honestly quite saddening stats when it comes to the language used in salons, because that's another thing that can really help those experiences, um, whether that's with clients or between staff. Do you have some tips for making interactions and conversations safer or feel safer? Um, are there any like best practices to lead a conversation when uh, clients are checking in or when you're booking a client in? How can we do better as an industry when it comes to language? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's so much we can do um, to be better at that um, in terms of our industry and how everything is going. Um, you know, as Killian mentioned earlier, I think that gender inclusive salons are definitely the way of the future for in terms of diversity within our industry. Um, and uh, you know, I think like first of all, if you are a salon that has a receptionist um, of any kind uh, that greets people, you know, just being aware and having training of your front desk person so that if they recognize that someone, you know, um, may say their gender expression is uh, visually different than what you might traditionally say when you greet someone, um, that can be noted. And that person can also be really aware of that. Mm -hmm. Um, So instead of, you know, someone walking into the salon and greeting them with, you know, hey, sir, or ma'am, or anything like that, you can just say, oh, hey, are you so-and-so? And And like, welcome to the salon. You know, we always say that when you're using, when you're trying to get someone's pronouns right, if you really can't remember, and we have it really easy in our industry because we, well, and you know, I guess this is like in terms of COVID language now, we have the best contact tracing, you know, system that you could possibly have because everyone has booked an appointment and all of their information is there, you know? So your your, uh, front desk person can just look at that, appointment service and see their name and just like immediately say, Oh, Hey, are you Zoe? You know? And like, it's the easiest thing to do because someone's, someone's name is really the best pronoun you can use. Um, if you can't remember what their pronouns are, something that we also train people in, um, you can also, I mean, for the most part now, I'd say that most salons have switched over to some sort of software that is digital in terms of like, you know, doing their books and appointments. So in the file of that person, you can put what pronouns they prefer to use, or if they change their pronouns, I have a client who, uh, you know, when, when we are able to work, I have a client who actually, um, switches their pronouns and their names. So um, some days they come in as one name with the set of pronouns and another day they come in as another name with a set of pronouns. And it's because their gender is very fluid and they're not going, they're not um, committing to identifying under just one. And I will always know uh, what name and pronouns they're using that day by the name they use to book that appointment that day. And it switches sometimes, Um, you know? So um, another thing, another way of doing it is if like, I go through a lot of transformation haircuts. And by that, what I mean is like people who come into the salon who are really, really struggling with their gender identity and their gender expression. And um, I do really huge changes for their hair that does actually align a little bit more with their gender expression. And we like to call it looking the way they feel. Yeah. And, um, and so, um, you know, we'll have, I mean, when you cut someone's hair like that, you end up opening up, you know, a lot of um, access to having conversation about them and themselves. And I'll ask them like at the end of the service, like, should I change your pronouns? You know, I think it's just things like that to be aware of that, you know, um, the fluidity of it all and that nothing is ever concrete. And, you know, something I always tell people is like, follow the lead of your client with the conversation, you know, don't assume anything. Don't use a microaggression because you heard that, you know, a catchphrase that you thought was great. Like, um, you know, make sure your language is like kind and gentle and allow them to, 
really lead the conversation in terms of that. As hairstylists, it's our job to lead the conversation in terms of the haircut um, and to be aware and on top of that stuff. But, you know, I think I, I, think I say this all the time. I'm sure you've heard it. Like, hair has no gender. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, implying in any kind of way that it does just makes you look stupid. What advice do you have? Because I'm sure for a lot of your salons that approach you about learning how to pivot the salon slightly, it's a learning curve. So there's probably going to be a couple of stages where I suppose they might get it wrong and then feel embarrassed and then the client might feel embarrassed. So what advice do you give people to, I suppose, alleviate escalating an embarrassing situation or making a situation kind of feel more embarrassing when it shouldn't be? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, that's something that's just really hard to avoid. Um, and, and, you know, we're humans and we're always going to make mistakes in a lot of different ways and this is no different. And, uh, you know, um, you just have to apologize. Like we just say, it's kind of like a three-step program, you know, um, you apologize, correct yourself and move on. And we like to say, you know, you should do it quickly. Don't linger in that space for that too long. It's uncomfortable for the client. Um, you know, the last thing they want you doing is fumbling around. So almost identify it, nip it in the bud straight away. And I suppose to remove the, uh, what we like to say over here, digging yourself a grave by kind of, like you were saying, fumbling, just stop it, take a step back and then go again. So with this being also close to heart, I'm sure, you know, like you said earlier, like your salon's always felt very inclusive uh, to to your clientele. Um, but for those maybe looking into the Dress Code Project, becoming a member or listening even to this currently and having like a light bulb moment, operationally speaking, where can a salon team and owner get started with transitioning their space into a gender affirming one? Like, what do you recommend and what does training look like? Is it done over a couple of months, less, more? Yeah, I mean, you know, we always recommend that you become a member salon with us so that you have access to the resources that we provide. Um, you know, we do send a package to people when they become a member salon with a bunch of information, including that guide that um, I created with the 519. It's like a 25-page infographic guide that is, a, is is actually a really good blend of combining inclusivity training with uh, what it means to be someone who cuts cuts hair for a living. Um, and so, um, we recommend that we also, um, we've put a pause on it because of the pandemic and everything and, you know, just getting things sorted out. Um, but, you know, we also recommend, uh, that we, we do, and we will be doing again, we provide, um, uh, training, uh, and a chance for, I think it's twice a month to do lives with me on our website where I'll go on and I'll do a Q and A. So anybody that is a member can come on and actually anyone can come on, but they just have to pay a fee, whereas members don't have to. Um, and they can come on and they can ask me any questions. And then the, and the next session we do in the month is an education session um, around different topics that we would normally encounter. Um, and, uh, you know, we also provide, again, um, it's been a minute since we've done it because of the pandemic and social distancing. But one of the things that um, I created when, we started doing this. Um, I shortly started to realize that we were missing a, a bit of a, a bit of a, a demographic when when we were making these salons out. Because for the most part, there's salons that you know um, a haircut costs a certain price, and um, I think we really started to recognize that we were missing out on a demographic that couldn't always afford to come into our salon. So we created this event called 
the Gender Free Haircut Club. And um, what we were doing was about once a month, we were going around to different dress code projects, uh, salons, and it started in Toronto. Um, and because that's where we're based out of. And um, the salon owner and the stylist at that salon would provide free services and a free space for uh, queer youth to come and get free haircuts um, and that were gender affirming. And, you know, they were really amazing events um, because... Yeah, the youth would come in and not only would they have stylists that understood their needs, but they wouldn't have to pay. And they would also have a little community starting. You know, we started to notice that after a while, some of the youth were using our services pretty regularly. And so that's the haircut they were relying on. But they were also starting to like say, oh, hey, to the the people they would see again, you know. So it was also like a really nice community based thing for them. Um, And we started to do that in Toronto and then it started to take off. We did a, I think we did one in Montreal and we did a few in um, Edmonton and um, Calgary, um, I think Saskatchewan potentially. And then they went into the United States and then we had a ton that were done um, in uh, Sydney, Australia and a few in Europe as well. So, you know, it was, it was really nice. And that event um, is something I'm really excited to do again because I think it was really serving a good purpose there. How do you publicize your event? So I suppose this is kind of actually a two-part question, but I know that you provide stickers for salons to put into the windows, but as a client, so let's say I flew over to Toronto and I didn't know which salon to start with. Do you have anywhere that I could go to to find gender-affirming salons? But then also, how do you promote the event to people who are still in between salons, I suppose, at this stage? Yeah, so you can go to our website um, and you, there is a, a salon locator and it, um, you can go onto it. It's a map and a directory. And so it's actually like a physical map on the website and then a directory on the side. And you type in your, your zip code or a postal code and any, so any gender affirming salon that's a member salon that is near you, your location, wherever you are at that moment will pop up. So you can see like, oh, Fox and Jane Toronto is like, you know, two kilometers away from you or something like that. Um, And then uh, in terms of the uh, events, um, you know, we put them on our website when we're doing them, but we rely heavily on social media for those events. So we would put on our, uh, our Instagram account because we use Instagram more than anything really um, in terms of social media platforms. So we put on our Instagram account that, you know, we're doing, um, we created a little logo for it. Um, It's ridiculous. It was like hand-drawn when I did it, Um, but it's stuck. So it's like, you know, yeah, exactly. It's just my hand with a pair of scissors and a circle around it, you know, and it says the gender free haircut club. But we put that logo up with the time, the date, the, the space, Uh, the area we put up, like whether it's accessible for wheelchairs, um, you know, and that kind of thing. Um, And now actually one of the new things that we're going to have to consider when we go back is masks and um, people who um, are hearing impaired, you know? Um, And so, you know, um, there's always different things that we'll consider, but yeah, we put those up and we ask people to share the information. And we usually would also share the information with community-based groups. So if we're in Toronto or we're in Montreal, or, you know, if we're in Ireland or something like that, we would, just, we would reach out to a community group there that, you know, does deal with um, queer youth and say, we're doing these events. This is what they are. We'd love to talk to you about them so that you make sure you feel safe and about them. And then, you know, we'd have them help promote because, 
um, community groups are really great for reaching youth that are, um, you know, really in need of these services um, that wouldn't normally have the access. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, Kristen, you came up with the idea for the dress code project back in 2017, wasn't it? How many salons or how many members do you have at the moment? We have over 400 member salons now. Um, And they, yeah, and they are global. We have them. I think we honestly have salons everywhere except for Asia. It's like the one market that we're not in yet. Incredible. Over 400 in, I was about to say three years, four years now. What does the future behold for the Dress Code Project? Like, what does your ideal 2021 vision look like? And then what can we expect to see thereafter? You know, I mean, honestly, I think, you know, we'll have to deal with this pandemic a little bit still. Uh, You know, it's definitely slowed us down a tiny bit, like, but every business I think can say that. We've all experienced that. But when we're able to get things going up again and stuff, I think, you know, the focuses that we're going to be looking at are just continuing to get the word out about what it is that we do and why gender affirming salons are so important. Um, helping um, helping salon owners and barbershop owners to create those spaces so that they can transform them into more inclusive spaces so that everyone can go in and get a haircut is on, you know, uh, is definitely on our plates, creating education for hair salons and barbershops um, and, and just so that spaces can become more inclusive, but also doing it, you know, um, from the get-go when you're being trained to be uh, a barber or a hairstylist. Um, and I think just continuing to do the work and, and lastly, getting up, uh, getting our gender-free haircut clubs back up and running, um, not only because they're essential, um, they really are essential, you know, um, but because they're really fun and uh, they are, um, you know, they're really something really beautiful to see, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so, it's so beautiful to see people, you know, feel feel better in their skin, feel more comfortable coming into, you know, their own. And, and yeah, I, I can imagine how, how rewarding that feels to, to host those events for sure. Plus you're making people feel happy as well. <laughs> and that's, that's so important. Yeah. So yeah, important. Exactly. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. For people who uh, would be curious to follow you online or reach out through DMs uh, or maybe even, you know, come to your salon for a haircut when things reopen finally in Toronto, um, how can people find you online? So my personal um, hair page online is, again, I mostly just do Instagram. So it's Kristen Rankin Hair, um, at Kristen Rankin Hair. Um, our website uh, for our salon in Toronto is called Fox and Jane Salon. And it's uh, foxandjanesalon.com. Um, and yeah, um, those are the two ways you can find me personally. People are welcome to DM me on my hair page. I'll absolutely answer people back. Um, and, uh, you know, and then also our, our handle on Instagram for the Dress Code Project is at the Dress Code Project. And our website is dresscodeproject.com. There's a join us button. They fill out a form. We require a fee from people so that we can do what we are we're continuing continuing to do um and also we also think that um because when we first started this we actually didn't require a fee we were just wanting people to do this and uh but we've we found that um making people pay for things makes them more accountable so yeah we require that and so any salon can become a dress code project salon it doesn't matter where your salon is located once you do you become part of our directory and um so you just type in your postcode zip code whatever it is and it'll bring up as a client, it'll bring up salons or barbershops that are are located around you. So you know that you can already go into that shop and they've had some sort of like, um, 
training on uh, gender affirming salon spaces. Excellent. And we'll include those links in the show notes as well, of course. Thank you. The definition of safe space, when you look at it in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is a noun, a place uh, intended to be free of bias, conflict, criticism, potentially threatening actions, ideas or conversations. At the Dress Code Project, they choose to use the term safer space and ask that their member salons do as well because they can unfortunately never guarantee that a place is completely 100% safe. However, they do focus uh, their all their efforts on diversity, inclusion, alliance and equality. To get more insight into what that looks like for a salon on the day-to-day, we had the opportunity of speaking with Lauren Wilde, who has 18 years of experience in the hair industry, including owning two salons. She's passionate about hair education and mentoring the industry's future stylists, and currently she's a sought-after educator with Wella, Sebastian, Nioxin, and GHD. Lauren is also a difference maker for the Dress Code Project, spreading awareness and passion surrounding creating safer salon spaces for clients of the LGBTQ community. Over the next couple of minutes, you'll be hearing her testimonial about how she makes a difference and how things look like on a day-to-day in her salon. Running a gender-affirming salon in a safer space is really important because everyone deserves to have access to a salon that is inclusive and offering services that cater to them. And in many areas, including the one that I live in, it's it's not a very diverse community. And it's especially important to offer that because many people that are looking for that are having to travel out of town, hours out of town to find somewhere where they feel safe to go. Changing our services was a big part of it, um, just to show that we are supportive and we support this initiative in our industry. And um, that includes changing our language even every day in the salon, you know, welcoming our clients without um, specific pronouns. Even the communication between stylists were very attentive about um, labeling our client with a gender. When we're talking about a client, we're not saying my lady in the chair um, needs to have a rinse. You know, it's little things like that. And it makes a big difference for the client experience for someone that has sought us out for this type of space. Despite us not extending our marketing to a new demographic, it it has brought in a new demographic of clients. Um, And in terms of staff, when I interview someone and I tell them about the gender-free space, they're actually really excited about it and it makes them more eager to want to work for us. There's a little bit of a learning curve, but for the most part, everybody is super appreciative of this initiative and they're really excited to get on board with it. When I have a new staff member come in, I usually guide them to find the dress code project. Um, They're the number one source of education right now that our staff use. They can learn about different topics as they come up. And dress code is typically featuring a new topic every month. Um, For instance, last month, the discussion was about pronouns and why it's so important to be using the correct pronouns and, um, you know, why people identify differently. 
Um, so having that kind of support and education is incredibly helpful. Our services are built by uh, length of hair instead of gender, which has always made sense to me. Seven or eight years ago, the first salon that I ran, um, I had a lot of female clients that were getting barbered cuts and they were complaining about that. And I, it had just occurred to me one day, why the heck are we doing this? This doesn't make any sense. We need to make this change. So prior to finding the dress code project, I had already taken gender out of my services. Honestly, my perspective of all this is that this is the future of our industry. This is the way that things are going. You guys at Forest have made that really easy for us. And you've taken the gender identity out of the profile um, when my clients are signing up. And we've already gotten good feedback on that. I've had clients come in and mention that. So that alone is amazing. Um, super appreciate that. I hope in 20 years to see salons that have genderized their prices completely eradicated. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense at all. It's, it just, even my clients say that, like when they come in and I explain to them why we're doing this and why the prices are this way, there's always a light bulb that goes off. They're so impressed. They think that this is really important and they're really happy that we've, we've made this change in, in the salon industry. Going to a salon is a wonderful experience. I'm sure it's true for many of your clients. That couldn't have been truer in my journey. And for that, I feel privileged, grateful. Unfortunately, it's still a scary and challenging experience for quite a few others. While the professional beauty industry has always been considered a safer space for people within the LGBTQ2S plus communities, we still have a long way to go with education, acceptance and understanding. And because learning through community, asking questions and sharing experiences is so powerful, the Dress Code Project has become the number one resource to turn to within the industry. Thanks for listening to Forest FM. If you've enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, you can head over to forest.com forward slash FM to catch all the latest from the show, as well as check out the links and resources mentioned throughout the episode. And if you've got any feedback, be sure to let us know. Send us an email at forestfm at forest.com. Brought to you by Forest Salon Software. Forest FM episodes air weekly, sharing inspiring stories from the salon floor and amplifying community voices all over the globe. In your salon, we're at the heart of it. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z, Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Great music makes great moments.